The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Welcome to The Bird Calls. I'm your host, David Grubb. At the top of the last episode, I talked briefly about how quiet the offseason has been so far for the New Orleans Pelicans. Of course, the NBA season has yet to come to an end, so there's still a wait for a champion to be crowned and a new league year to begin. But in general, there just hasn't been a lot of buzz about the Pelicans since they fell in the opening round of the play-in tournament. In my years of covering the Pelicans, I'm not quite sure what to make of it. The fan base is more excited with off-the-court conversations and controversies than thinking about how this team could be different when it takes the court this fall. Last season was the last four seasons wrapped in a nutshell. There was tremendous promise, young players who stepped up at different times, flashes of potential and production that put the league on notice, at least temporarily. And then there were also the injuries, the inconsistency, and the incalculable losses to inferior opponents. The New Orleans Pelicans are an enigma inside a puzzle wrapped in a riddle. With so many questions upon her, I thought it would be a good time to have a conversation with Pelicans broadcaster and reporter Aaron Summers. Aaron is a 15-year veteran in this industry, and I've also had the pleasure of working with her with, on some Tulane University men's basketball games where she handled the sideline reporting while I was on color commentary. She's also an ACC product out of the University of North Carolina, so at least she didn't go to Duke. Uh, she's been with the Saints and Pelicans for the, going on three seasons now, and she's seen the good, the bad, and the ugly with this team. So let's get her thoughts on this past season and what she expects in this season to come. All right, Aaron, there was a disappointing end to last season, as we both know. Um, But for you, what was it like being so close to that roller coaster of a season where the Pelicans rise to the top of the West and there's this crescendo of just great feeling right before the new year. And then it plummets uh, with the 10 game losing streak, and then they fight themselves back into the plan before it ends there. What was it like for you being up close and personal with this team throughout that entire uh, roller coaster of a ride? For me, it started when they went on the run at the end of the 2021-22 season because they gained so much unexpected momentum and they were able to get into the play in tournament, get into the first round of the playoffs. And it was all without, you know, who they thought would be their biggest piece in Zion Williamson. So you think that you have everything that you need and you're going to add somebody like Zion to the mix. Yes, expectations were so high heading into this last season and with good reason. And I think people, not even just fans, but the team itself was really excited. And to see what they could be throughout that month of December when things are really clicking, they're at the top of the West, you know, Willie Green's winning Western Conference Coach of the Month, you know, things were looking really good for the Pelicans. And then they dealt with the injury bug again. And that was really hard. It was hard for 
a team to deal with the expectations and not only from the outside, but from what they wanted to do within that locker room, what they expected of themselves, what they thought the season was going to be. And to hear all the noise, I mean, it's different. You know, the season before it was something that was kind of like icing on the cake. Like the season was so much more than people thought it was going to be. It was a lot of fun and people were just riding that wave. But, you know, people are going to have more opinions and be a little more harsh when things don't go as expected when you had so much potential. Unfortunately, I do think it came down to the injuries. Um, And it was tough, especially that 10 game losing streak um, in January, February, like there were some tough, tough moments and moments that it, it didn't feel like things were very fun for the team. Um, They didn't seem like that happy go lucky team that we remembered from the year before they had some hard conversations and they were able to get back on track and looked like they were going to be able to get into the playoffs and really turn some things around, especially with as close of a race it was towards the end of the season. Um, unfortunately, just not quite enough in the end, but I do think overall, it really just did come down to the injuries and you don't want to blame that or make an excuse, but it was a real reality for that team. Do you think that their reaction to the injuries, and I think that part is is, is the more frustrating part because this is the same group by and large that played the end of last season without Zion Williamson, made it into the playoffs without Zion Williamson, and then to go through those stretches where they couldn't win consecutive games beyond just the 10-game losing streak, which is the outlier and all of that. But it was so hard for them Mm -hmm. to gain any kind of even win a week to have a positive winning week just to, you know, to be above 500 over a three or four game stretch was, was really hard for this team. What do you think was the difference mentally? Because again, you know, you take the Brandon Ingram part of him being out so long, but once that group was back together, it was essentially the same group that played so well at the end of last season. And they just didn't do that for a good stretch at the, in this season. Well, it's, it's kind of twofold. Do you have the injuries um, that came into play you adjusted from what you thought your team was going to look like at the beginning of the season, how you thought your offense was going to flow. You think that Zion, it's going to throw flow through Zion, right? I mean, he is such a gravitational force on the basketball court that he creates so many more opportunities for everybody else. He's going to make life so much easier for Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum, Trey Murphy, and change the dynamic of what that team was from the season before. So everybody kind of had to adjust their roles and what their role was on that team prior for good reason and for the benefit of the team. But then when you dealt with the injuries, Brandon Ingram goes out for an extended amount of time that changes the dynamic of the team. And then, you know, CJ gets hurt. He's dealing with playing through an injury and having to carry a lot more of the load because Brandon is out. I think it wore on him a lot. And credit to him for fighting through multiple injuries that we came to find out at the end of the season, how long he'd been playing with a a torn ligament in his thumb, his shoulder injury. He was battling and and having to carry a lot um, without Brandon in and then without Zion, you know, when he was off of the court as well. Again, the dynamic of the team shifts and then you add Brandon back in and it's just, it's a lot to have to adjust to on the fly during an NBA season. There's not a lot of time to practice and figure out, you know, a new system and figure out what you, what's going to work or not work. I mean, you're almost really trying to figure that out 
in games. And so there were some games that were a struggle because for whatever reason, they started out slow until they found their rhythm or they didn't come out of the half with as much energy and effort as they should have. Um, and I think that's was the big the big issue was just trying to find like the continuity on the team, the consistency and what they wanted their offense to look like with all of the changing people in and out of the lineup. Yeah, they, they just became... I think, you know, Willie Green's principle was the 0.5 that the ball should be moving mm -hmm. quickly. And, and we we didn't get to see that. And I think a lot of that came from um, hesitancy of not trusting people in the roles that they were in. Guys were playing in positions that they weren't. And one of the ones that I'd like to get your thoughts on, who a guy who's taken a lot of heat. And I'm not, you know, I, I don't have a dog in the hunt. I'm not trying to stand for anybody. But CJ McCollum has taken a lot of heat. I talking to David Wesley, talking to Antonio Daniels about the type of injury that he had on his hand, what he was dealing with. And it has also been my contention that the role that he was asked to play last year is not the role that he was brought to New Orleans to play. And for him to be plus 30 years old and being asked to be the primary ball handler, when that's not his, his, his job, he was there to be the third guy offensively, the guy mm -hmm. who, who handled the shooting duties and who could run a pick and roll in late clock situations. But instead, he's in that primary guard position. I just think that there were a lot of things that worked against CJ um, and that people are holding against him potentially that they just didn't know what was going on last year. I agree. I think that, and I don't want to question somebody's knowledge of the game or understanding of what's at play, but in reference to the position and what was asked of him, it was different than what would be his natural position to play. And then you add on the fact that he was hurt for several months at the end of the season. And it was, you know, his shooting hand, it was his thumb on that hand. And he, you know, he said, I feel it all of the time, every day, every game, I feel it and it is affecting me, but I'm going to play through it. It's really hard to perform at the highest level when the hand that you're using the majority of the time is giving you that much pain. Um, so he was, you know, faced with a, a tough situation with the injuries to other people around him. He wanted to do everything that he could to play through his and postpone a surgery that he ended up having at the end of the season for the betterment of the team and he put in a lot of work to be the best that he could be in the position that he was put in. But yeah, it's not natural for him. And it's not natural to play with an injury. Um, it was, it was tough to watch at times, honestly, you know, I, you know, you'd see him turn the ball over a little bit too much, but again, is that because he's dealing with that injury because he's having to handle the ball, bring the ball more up more than he usually would, um, is it because he's putting more pressure on himself because he knows he has to do more for the team? And there were definitely a lot of things at play and he did the best that he could. I don't think there's really much we can get mad at him about because he, at least he was available, right? Like he, he was there and playing every game. Yeah. I think it's hard to be really too um, judgmental about any of the guys who played 70 plus games, who got out there and continued to fight, fight. I mean, you know, we know how many games Larry Nance Jr. missed, but when he could, if he was able to walk mm -hmm. in on the court, he would do it. We know Herb Jones missed games. We, we Everybody missed a little bit, but, you know, by and large, I think guys fought. And David Griffin talked about in his end of the year press conference that he didn't want availability to be 
the word around this team, player availability to be the main conversation. But here we are, we're still talking now about a restructuring of the, the, the uh, physical uh, fit, the therapy team. What, is, what do you think that means for Aaron Nelson? Because I don't think that means he's leaving the organization because we haven't heard anything like that. But will, do you think there's gonna be additions to the staff or maybe a new emphasis, points of emphasis in how they do player development? I think that when you have a season that doesn't reach expectations, you're going to have to take a step back and look at all areas. And obviously the injuries are one of the ones that is the most glaring. You had a lot of injuries to key players. They didn't seem to be able to, to get on the court to what everybody else out there, all the fans thought that they should be able to in the time that the fans thought they should be able to. You're going to do your due diligence and you're going to look into that. Um, there's a lot of stuff that we're not privy to as far as what the extent of the injury was, if there were any, anything else that happened in the recovery, um, what the player was feeling. I mean, the player themselves have to be comfortable. We saw at the end of the season, Larry Nance, I mean, he said himself, and I give him a lot of credit. He felt like he was going to be a detriment to the team. If he was on the court in that play in game, because he wasn't able to get dig it up and get after balls and, and rebound like he thought he should. He wasn't as quick as he thought he could be. And he took himself out of the game and people respected him for that. But, you know, in, in the same breath, people would maybe knock Brandon or Zion for not being on the court. Well, that could have very well been the same thing for them. They, they might've thought that, you know, they might not be helping the team if they were on the court. Um, so there's, there's a lot more to it. But I know that the Pelicans are going to do their due diligence in, in talking to everybody, talking to the players, talking to the, the staff, the training staff, the assistant coaches, and really trying to figure it out. I mean, I, I'm at the facility all the time, and I see that them all huddled in the conference room every day. And obviously, there's a lot that they're doing right now as ter in terms of the draft and trying to figure out what they're going to do there. But I mean, they are definitely looking at all areas. And whether it is with training, whether it's changing some of the pieces on the team right now, or even just trying to find something that's going to be a good fit in the draft, um, regardless of who's on and are off the court, I think there are some things that they still could have done better. And we heard David Griffin say it at the end of the, the year press conferences or interviews that regardless of who's on the, the court, we still expect to play at a high level and we just didn't every game. Yeah, the mental part is something that that has nothing to do with the injuries, the, the mistakes mm -hmm. that they made, and, and that's part of the process, but also something they have to clean up. And to address some of those shortcomings, they add James Borrego to the coaching staff, which I am very excited by that hire. Uh, I think he's somebody who brings in uh, exactly the kind of offensive mindset that the Pelicans wanted to add. Uh, we know that they struggled to get up three-point attempts. Borrego's uh, reputation is that his teams not only shoot a lot of threes, but they shoot at a high percentage. They play at a high pace and they, they are, they're good at taking care of the basketball as well. Their offensive ratings were good um, in two of his four seasons. He had to do a couple of mm -hmm. rebuilds while he was in Charlotte as well. But in particular, that last season offensively, Charlotte was as good an offensive team as there was in the NBA. He also has familiarity, not only with Willie Green as a player, having coached him when he was a player, but also familiarity through staffs that they have in common, whether it be San Antonio or some common coaching there. I think that's a huge addition for Willie Green in a staff that he primarily did not put together 
to have someone that he knows, that he's chosen, that he can trust in this type of position in such a critical year. And you look at the team, and I think it was Larry Nance Jr. at the end of the season, and he said, if you would have told me at the end of the year we were sixth defensively in our defensive rating, I would have thought we were in the championship. You know, the the final, um, the final, the NBA finals, because offensively it looked like they had all the pieces that they would need. When the reality, the Pelicans finished the season twentieth in offensive rating. They're second to last in three-point attempts a game, the top seven teams in three-point percentage in the league right now are all teams over 500. That is the way the game is going now. You have to put up threes and you have to make them. And the Pelicans weren't bad as far as accuracy. They were 15th, so, you know, kind of, um, you know, mid in the league, but they, again, put up second to last in attempts. So they were only putting up about 30 a game. We heard Willie Green towards the end of the season saying we have to hit at least 30, uh, 36 attempts a game. We have to get that number up higher. For whatever reason, they couldn't. I mean, it really came down to CJ McCollum and Trey Murphy as far as their three-point shot makers or even the people that would attempt the shots. So yeah, some offensive adjustments are definitely needed. They have to figure out some way that they can increase the volume from outside, whether it's adding an outside shooter or changing the way that their offense is run a little bit. I know coach green loves to play with pace. And obviously if you do have that 0.5 mentality, you're going to get more shots up. You're, you're going to be cultivating better looks when you're moving the ball around a lot. Um, but for whatever reason, they just couldn't consistently run the offense that way. So getting in another offensive mind in there, I think would help a lot. And then how big is it for uh, Jaron Collins to come back? You know, he was in consideration for the job in in Detroit, but Mm -hmm. he's back and he was the spearhead as far as developing that defense that was sixth in the NBA. And when you look at that group again, Herb Jones, we know he's elite. The rest of these guys by and large, average defenders, we would say individually, but they put it all together as a group. For the most part, there are still weaknesses, uh, you know, in protecting the rim and at occasionally mm-hmm. giving up too many points from three-point range. But by and large, this was a very good defensive team. Yeah. I mean, we, I mentioned it earlier, you know, six is not bad when you're talking about defensive rating. That's pretty dang good. And Particularly they for were, this franchise. Exactly. Exactly. And Uh, they were ninth in points allowed. So they were pretty high up there in all of their defensive statistics. Herb Jones, obviously we know he's a prolific defender. Dyson Daniels came in and did very well. Najee Marshall is very good on the defensive end, but I do think we saw some other players, Brandon Ingram, Trey Murphy, taking a step forward this past season, as far as their abilities and the effort that they were putting in on the defensive end, you know, for Trey, I think it's, a better understanding of the game at the NBA level and what's needed on that side of the ball. And Larry Nance Jr. was very good uh, and his contributions on that side too. So it was more of a team effort. Um, everybody really bringing that effort and energy on the defensive end, the communication being there, understanding their switches, where they needed to be on the court um, and knowing their personnel, you know, knowing what they were trying to do against different teams. So that was really fun to see last year is to see their growth on the defensive side. The biggest position that seems that there's going to be upheaval in is the center position. 
um, this offseason. Jonas Valanciunas has been invaluable to me you know, over the last two seasons. He's done everything he's been asked to do. He's one of the few players in the league who gave you 14 points, 10 boards last year. I think one of only nine centers uh, to do so um, and shoot the percentages that he shot. Uh, he, you know, gives you consistent production on the offensive glass, but he's literally, you know, best suited as a 25 to 28 minute player. And the Pelicans mm-hmm. have not been able to get consistent production from their backup centers, whether it was Jackson Hayes, whether it was uh, Willie, uh, Billy Hernan Gomez, or even putting Larry Nance in that position at times or and having to go to Herb Jones at center uh, in some occasions. Addressing that has to be one of the priorities for this front office this offseason. And there's going to be conversations. Uh, you know, I talked to Jonas Valanciunas um, maybe a month ago, and you know, he said nobody is happy with the way that this season ended or the way that the season went. And yeah, I understand that they're going to have to look at everything. I want to stay here, but I get it. You know, when you don't perform to the level that is expected, then everything is in play. Um, you know. The, the game again is changing a lot from your prototypical center. I mean, there's just not a lot of them in the league that don't also come with like the athleticism, the speed, the ability to switch. And Jonas is kind of your old school center. He um, would have benefited a lot from having somebody like Zion next to him to not take so much of the physicality down low every single game. I mean, he was battling. Um, So I'm not sure what they're going to do with the position. I think if you can have a healthy Zion, if you can get some more um, production from from that role, if the four and kind of help Jonas down below, then that would be one way to go. You know, the rotation got messed up a lot because of those injuries this season. But, you know, you did mention the, the rim protection and that's something that the team definitely has to look at. They were... I think fourth to last in the league or no, they, I think they were last in the league actually in um, shots allowed within four feet of the basket. Uh, I think they allowed 72% um, within four feet of the basket. So that's not great. You know, that's why a lot of people are talking about getting a rim protector in this draft as well. Unfortunately, I I don't know how many there are available at 14. Um, Mm -hmm. I think this is, you know, a weird place to be in the draft at 14. Historically, it has not been a great spot. Uh, very few, I think the last All-Stars, Bam Adebayo, to get drafted at 14. Mm-hmm. Some okay players have been taken in the last couple of years, but no stars. With this team kind of in a win-now mode, you know, I, I think that you would have to guess that everything is on the table when it comes to the 14th pick. Finding a player using it to maybe move up if there's somebody that they really want. We know David Griffin has not been shy about being aggressive with that or getting out of the draft completely and using that pick to maybe get a veteran. Well, I think that they're definitely going to do their due diligence, only have that one pick because of the 2019 draft day trade with the Falcon or sorry, I'm talking like the completely wrong sport Hawks with Atlanta. Um, So we don't have a second round pick this year. Next year, though, they have a possibility of having 
you know, three first round picks because of all the different trades with the Lakers and the Bucks, and obviously our first round pick too. So I don't think it's necessarily as important to like hit on this pick this year. I think the Pelicans have all of the pieces. Everybody thought that they were a, a title contender last year with everybody that we had on the squad. We heard David Griffin say at the end of the year, like maybe there'll be some, some small changes, but nothing major. Um, and I think that's still the case. You know, I think that, you know, just keeping everybody healthy is is going to be the biggest thing going into this season, adding a little, some changes um, with the coaching staff, um, kind of trying to mix up the offense a little bit, kind of elevate that side of the ball would help. But yeah, I don't think that they necessarily need to find, I mean, we definitely don't need like a game changer from the draft. We don't, we don't need to necessarily hit right now. And we still have, um, EJ who's on the court every day, getting ready. Um, who's done very well when I've seen him on the court. I mean, he's pretty much hitting every shot that he puts up. So it'll be interesting to see how he fits into the mold. And then Darion Sebron was pretty good. Um, you know, this season as well. So we'll see how the draft picks from last year kind of evolve over this next season and, and if they're able to contribute too. Cause we we kind of are getting an extra pick with, you know, EJ Liddell having been injured last year and not really seeing what he can do with the team. And kind of, I mean, really with Kyra Lewis Jr. going into the last year before right. his extension has to be decided. Mm-hmm. I think also you're kind of getting him picked with him because he didn't get to play a lot of games last year and he didn't essentially didn't play the year before because of his knee injury. And to me, he showed some really good flashes. And I think, you know, this was a guy you spent a 13 pick on a first rounder. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to be all of the things that Jose Alvarado provides. Kyra's supposed to give you that and a little bit more because of the, he's a bigger, mm-hmm. longer, stronger, all those things. And if he can, if Kyra can turn into a reasonable facsimile of a 10 to 15 minute point guard, I think that's, that's like getting another free agent or draft pick as well. And I think in training camp and the the time they have leading up to the season, they'll be able to get some more run with Kyra and see what he's able to do is, you know, like we talked about, it's really hard to make major changes within a season because there's just not a lot of practice time or or the way that they practice is different. But, you know, maybe they're going to try some some stuff during the lead into the season and change up the rotation a little bit, give Kyra some more time, see what he can do. I think, I mean, we all love seeing him go get downhill because he's so good in, in that regard. So that could help as well with the pace and his ball handling ability. If they can kind of give him some more run and get comfortable with him. Yeah. He could be a good option too. And he shot a decent percentage from three last year. I mean, not, not a whole bunch of shots, but still was right around 40%, you know, for the limited shots that he did take, which was a bit of a surprise for me. I think one of the biggest things the Pelicans need to add, you can't draft and you can't buy. And I think that's just maturity and they need to grow up. Um, Brandon Ingram being a part of team USA this off season, and getting to play in the, the the FIBA World Championships, I think is a great opportunity for him should he take advantage of it uh, to see what it's like to be around the truly great players of this league, how they work, be, be around those coaches and that pressure, um, and get a chance to assert himself in, and be, you know, try to be a big fish in a small pond. Brandon Ingram wants to be the best. Like, 
there's no question. He thinks that he can be one of the best players in the league. And that is what his goal is. And I believe him just because of the work that he puts in. He is extremely gifted and he works very hard. He watches a lot of film and, you know, usually we don't see a lot from him during the summer. Usually he kind of goes to his camp in, in LA and works out and does his own thing. And we saw CJ McCollum, you know, making fun of the fact that Brandon never answers his calls and you know, nobody ever knows what he's doing. Um, he shows up ready, but I think this, this summer has been a little different for him, for him. He was here in town for a while, you know, um, I saw him at the facility working out a bunch and that's not, not usually the case. The fact that he is going to go and play, um, for team USA is really cool. I mean, he's going to be playing against some of the best of the best that can only make him better and challenge him and help him learn, um, more about the game and tendencies of other players on other teams that he's going to be playing against for the next season. So I think he's taking a different approach for this upcoming year in mean, the, the game means a lot to him. He sees what this team can be. He cares about this team. And, um, I think he's going to do everything that he can to come back better next year. Cause it was, it was tough for him not being able to play and, and not being able to contribute for a full season last year. And and that's been unfortunate for Brandon since he's gotten to the league, essentially mm -hmm. that getting a full season for him has just been such a struggle and having a, a, not only getting the season, but having a clean and healthy off season. And hopefully he gets that this year and gets that experience. Cause I think being in winning situations is so important. And, and, the last two years, the Pelicans have been chasing to get to that last spot. When you're part of Team USA, the expectation walking in the door is, we're supposed to get a gold medal here. Mm -hmm. And I think that that burden of expectation is a good thing for him because it's not something he's really had since he was a Duke. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, last year was a little bit of that, you know, just the higher expectations around the team with Zion being back on the court. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how he handles that situation playing over in the Philippines. It's, it's going to be fun to watch him to practice his interactions with the other players and what he has to say about the experience. I think it can only be beneficial for him. What's it? I think he can have a very much an international career like Carmelo Anthony, you know, Brandon's game, that mid range. And there are a lot of open looks that come in international basketball. If the ball's moving, Mm -hmm. And, you know, Melo ended up being the all-time leading scorer for Team USA because it's such a, he's such an easy score. And we know when B.I. is in a rhythm, he makes yeah. it effortless. And I think the international game with those spots in the floor and his ability to get to one dribble and, and get to his spot, I think it's it's a great situation for him to flourish. I think that he can have a lot of success for sure. I think it's just – I think it's really cool. I never knew that that was something that he wanted to do. I don't think I've ever heard him – talk about you know representing his country or playing on that team so it was kind of surprising when I saw the news come out but I think it's really cool I'm happy for him um I wish they would send me over there to cover it but I I don't think that's <laughs> gonna happen. Gonna <laughs> the, the west is not going to get any easier mm -mm. Denver certainly isn't going anywhere um whether they win the championship or not you expect them to be really good we saw how difficult this this conference is from top to bottom essentially it went down to the last three days of the season um and some teams basically had to pull themselves out of the race or they would have been in it to the last day of the season um so much pressure for the organization over the last four years 
And now it's basically from top to bottom, everybody, coaching staff, front office, and these players, how do they take, you know, from your perspective, how do they come into this and come into this with the, what mindset do they have to have in order to take that pressure off in one sense and focus on the task at hand? Yeah. I mean, I think in one aspect, pressure is good. Expectations are good because that means that you're doing the right thing. You've assembled a team that people are excited about, that people expect good things out of. And, you know, people from outside perspective can say whatever they want, but it matters what that team in the locker room thinks. And that team thinks that they are a number one contender in the West when they're healthy. And that's the mentality that they're going to come into with this season. Again, you're going to be in year three under head coach, Willie green. Everybody is that much more comfortable with each other. I think having gone through what they went through last year and persevering through some of those tough stretches is going to make them stronger coming into this season. We saw the fire that was lit under them after getting into the playoffs, the way that the sun series went two seasons ago. And I think people are going to come in here again, really hungry. I don't think there's anything wrong with, um, you know, being disappointed after last year and allowing that to kind of fuel you a little bit as well. It's definitely a, a win now mentality. It's definitely not a rebuild here. There's, they're not scrapping everything and starting all over. They're saying, no, we have the pieces here and we got to figure it out. Like we got to perform at a high level consistently every night for the entire game. And it's going to take that early in the season, uh, November, December, January. So we're not in that race at the end of the year with everybody else in the Western conference. Then it's, 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 what's interesting is too, is you're no longer the darlings anymore because now mm-hmm. people are looking at San Antonio with Victor Wimbanyama. And of course the attention goes there. You have Sacramento, which was, you know, in that loser position for 15 years and then makes this run and becomes the third seed. People are still, whether well, however the job Moran situation plays out, Memphis is still young mm-hmm. and talented and good. Houston will be better than they were. You know, all these teams that you look around, the West is not getting any easier and, and none of these teams are, are going to give you a break. So, yeah, this is, uh, you're really just hoping that this is the year that it just comes together for the Pelicans team. Because as you said, the pieces essentially are there. It just needs to Mm -hmm. fit. Mm -hmm. It's funny because, you know, obviously covering the Saints as well, this season to me, I feel like they have all the pieces and more than they had last year, but there was so much more hype around the team last season. Um, And then there were a ton of injuries. There was a quarterback controversy, you know, that was... Uh, It was tough with, you know, having Michael Thomas come back and then he got hurt. And so this year, I think people are slower to say, oh, the Saints are going to be really good this year. So I think maybe the Pelicans might kind of run into that as well. Like people might not be jumping on the Pelicans bandwagon saying the Pelicans are going to be really good this year because they might have felt burned from last season, you know, not going the way that it was expected. So it'll be interesting to see really how what the narrative is heading into the season from the outside media, um, what the expectations are, or if it's going to be kind of more like, well, let's just wait and see what happens. A couple more before I let you go. Um, you know, folks obviously are interested in the broadcast changes and the things that have been going on with Valley sports. Um, 
for you and your role within the within the broadcast, has is that going to change at all this year? You, uh, how is your position in there? And also, just as part of that team, there's been a really good connection between the city of New Orleans and, the, and, and that broadcast team. You mm-hmm. and AD and, and Joel and and just and, and on the radio side as well. This is a town that has really embraced this broadcast team. You, this is your going into your, I guess your third season now, right? Or fourth? Mm-hmm. Yep. Third, 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 third yeah. season. So for you, how is that? How has it been in cultivating that relationship? I love this fan base. They are so passionate and they're real. Like, I appreciate that. You know, um, they will lay it out there. They'll let you know how they feel. And as long as you kind of interact and, and show that you care and you're here for them, then I don't know. I've had a really good relationship with the fans and they're real it's just fun. Like it's so hard to describe new Orleans to people who haven't been here. There's just a different energy around the city. There's a different passion with the fan base. Um, generally everybody's usually very friendly and positive and easy to talk to easy to interact with. Um, so it's, it's fun, you know, and they're really they are very educated about basketball. They have very intelligent conversations about what they think should happen or not happen. And I've had a really good time going to watch parties and um, doing some radio broadcasts out at different places and just talking to fans before and after games. So I'm glad that you think that there is a good relationship between the broadcasters and and the fan base as well. <laughs> I mean, I, I enjoy it. And and certainly you and I have gotten to know each other better over yeah. the last couple of years and, and have gotten to work together. Um, and I've gotten to see how you work up close and personal. And I, I hope we get to do it again this year um, mm-hmm. because I had a blast uh, doing it with two, for Tulane basketball last season. Um, and, and it's just, um, you know, I respect your work so much. And uh, I, I, I just hope you get to do more. I, I, and I hope we get to have more and more conversations as the season goes along because I just enjoy talking with you and, and, and talking basketball with you. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely got to get on some more Tulane games. Those are always fun when I can outside of of Pell's stuff. And as far as this upcoming season, like you have any ideas, anything that anybody's listening has any ideas, what we should do or anything we should add in, like, yeah, let us know. All right. Erin, uh, tell the folks how they can keep up with you. And uh, if you got any special projects in the works, um, either with the Saints or with the Pelicans. Yeah, well, coming up next week, we have a mandatory mini camp for the Saints. So everybody will be in town. We'll have coverage of that. And then it'll be the NBA draft and then um, should be going to summer league. So we'll have a ton of of fun content, some stuff in the works there that I can't quite tell you about yet, but um, should be some extra content uh, added stuff from summer league this upcoming season. So you can follow along at Aaron E. Summers on Twitter, of course, on our um, websites. All right. Thank you so much. Once again, I want to thank Aaron Summers for joining me here on the bird calls. Always a pleasure to talk to her and I'm looking forward to working with her again as well. And thank you all so much for staying with us. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Stay tuned next week. We'll have a different draft prospect player preview video coming to you each and every day, starting on Monday. Those have been put together by Ben Pfeiffer and you can check out our talk about the Pelicans draft on an earlier episode. Don't forget to go to the bird rights and we got some interesting columns up right now about some of the key free agents who may be available to the Pelicans in different positions. And of course, um, some of our draft talk. So until the next time, in the words of our good friend, Preston Ellis.